Hi there. This is the PowerPoint Tribe, where our vibe is faith and our food is the word. Prepare to be strengthened and encouraged through the teachings of God's word and the ministry of the Spirit. Thank you for that warm welcome and that um, um, refreshing time of prayers. Praise God. Hallelujah. Um, once again, I'd like you to just welcome your e-neighbor, like Minister Busola affirmed, and kindly share the link um, on all our social media platform, especially our WhatsApp status, so that people can know it's combo clock. Amen and amen. Thank you for welcoming me. Uh, I'd like us to pray. I'd like us to just um, take the next one minute to pray. You know, the Bible says the entrance of God's word brings light and it gives understanding to the simple. So I'd like us to just begin to uh, pray in tongues and begin to receive the light that God has prepared for us this evening. One of the things that light does is that light begins to illuminate our path. It begins to bring everything into focus. It begins to um, cause everything to be magnified because light brings clarity. It begins to make our path more clear, our path in God clearer. And we begin to know what God expects of us per time. So tonight, as we step into God's word, I'd like us to just begin to pray that my life receives the light of God and my paths are illuminated. I know what to do per time. I know how to approach issues in order that I will begin to birth results that are consistent with God's nature. Begin to pray, begin to pray. Just pray in tongues. In the next one minute, 30 seconds now. Just pray in tongues for the next 30 seconds that I receive the infrastructure to be able to house God's word and bear fruit after it in the name of Jesus. That grace is supplied to me tonight to begin to profit after God's word. Because every time God sends his word, it's like that master that was traveling and begins to give talents to his servants. That Lord Jesus, I profit from this word. And not just tonight, on every other word that I've heard in this house, I profit. I profit with them. Now draw your prayer to a close by saying thank you to Jesus. Say thank you to Jesus for that awesome time of prayers in jesus mighty name we pray father i pray that everyone listening tonight is blessed strengthened, and encouraged in the name of jesus that our life is transformed through your word and the ministration of the holy spirit speak through me and speak the allowed words of god in the name of jesus in jesus mighty name we pray amen amen praise god um kindly confirm you can hear me in the chat room kindly confirm you can hear me all right Praise God. All right. Good, 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 good. All right. Um, I want to say a very big thank you to uh, Pastor Dami for this privilege to bring us God's word once again. It's not one I take for granted. It's one I hallow dearly. Thank you, sir. And I want to say a very big thank you to all our associate pastors, Pastor Ey, Pastor Itoro, Pastor Yinka, for your labor of love in God's word and for your leadership. And I also want to celebrate especially everyone that has taught in um, this series, um, Director Dami, Minister Jola, and we received a wonderful session last week from the stables of um, Minister Juan. Thank you so much, sir, for that wonderful word you brought to us last week. God bless you and God continue to prosper his word in your life in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise God. So uh, without further ado, we'll be delving into God's word tonight. And tonight we'll still be, we are still dealing with the topic of um, the book of Romans, the believer's roadmap to victory over flesh. So perhaps you have been asking 
that oh boy is he every um, Thursday they just talk about sin and and see that this church we are too sin conscious no 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 remember that we are teaching um this series the the the, the sub theme of this series is the believer's roadmap all right to victory over the flesh so it's not about being sin conscious is uh, is because we understand the devastating effect flesh has had on mankind and the doom that awaits those who are overly given to it. And that's why I believe the Holy Spirit um, revealed to our pastor that it is important for us at this point of our lives, at this stage of our lives, to actually go through a methodical study on how to begin to chart a course that will guarantee us victory over flesh. You see, that's why the, the, the sub-theme of this series is the believer's roadmap. It's a roadmap, you know, uh, how when you book an Uber and you are going to a location that you do not know, uh, you are going to a location you have never been before. Common sense just tells you that the fastest and the smartest thing to do at that point in time is to turn on your Google map uh, and begin to listen to every direction that that map is giving you. I know some people might argue that, oh, Google map may not be correct in Lagos, it leads you to some place, but in an ideal situation, the essence of that map is to guide you to your destination. You are rest assured that if I follow this map, um, if I follow this map diligently, if I follow his instructions diligently, the chances that I will miss my way is reduced to zero. All right? The chances that I will lose my way is reduced to zero. Why? Because I am diligently following the map. And why am I diligently following the map? Because somebody that was wiser than me as regards that path that I want to take, somebody that perhaps had come earlier, that I've understood the way, I've actually programmed that map to take me to my destination. You see, and that's why sometimes you're going to a place, you ask the person, can you just pin your location on the map and send me the link? So you know that if I follow it diligently enough, I will get to my destination. And you see, uh, for every spiritual truth or for every physical truth, there's always a spiritual parallel. And the spiritual parallel here is that if we pay attention to every teaching in this series, I think that again, if you pay attention to every teaching in this series, the chances that you will not be victorious over flesh is eliminated. So in other words, if you pay attention from the very first installment, which was the 13th Amendment, till today, which is the 27th installment of this series, right? the chances that you will miss your way is eliminated to zero. Praise God. The chances that you will lose your way is eliminated to zero. So we have been on this journey for almost nine weeks now, almost nine weeks now, or more, Seth, 27 weeks, right? Yes, because this is the 27th installment, sorry. We've been on this for 27 weeks now. So you see, this is a testament that God cares for you. Because how you know God cares for somebody, how you know that God cares for someone is that God sends his word to that person. So we simply means for the past 27 weeks of your life, for the past 27 weeks of my life, God has been so interested in us to the point that every week is furnishing us with strategies that will guarantee our victory over the flesh to the end that both you and I will partake of his glory at the second coming. That is how much God is so interested in you. That is how much God is so interested in me. That God is carefully 
through the agency of his ministers, charting a course for our lives that will guarantee us getting to where he is. So you see, this roadmap that we have been following, the ultimate destination that this roadmap is taking us to is the place called God. So you see, if you follow it diligently enough, what you now begin to discover is that for every step you are taking, for every junction you are entering in this journey of love, in this journey of faith, in this journey of hope, you begin to find out that your life is now bearing resemblance to that of God, such that by the time you have now come to the other side of your life, when people look at God and they look at you, they will not find any disparity. They will not find any difference. The only thing they will find is similarities. So in other words, God is taking us on a journey to becoming him. And this is the more reason why you have to pay attention. You know, the Bible says, meditate on these things. Give yourself only unto them. It says, so shall thy profiting appear unto many. Praise God. So in other words, for you to profit after these things, you must pay attention to them. And beyond paying attention to them, you must meditate on them to the point that these things will now form the fundamental fabrics of your life. Because it is out of the pool of meditation that you now begin to draw insight for living. Praise God. So this is just to say that we are on a correct journey. Hallelujah. We are on a correct journey. So last week, Minister Juwan began to teach us from Romans chapter 8. Uh, and it started, I think, from verse 5 to verse 8. And the summary of what Minister Juwan taught us last week was that death is the loss of consciousness. I'll just be giving us a little bit of recap. He told us that death is a loss of consciousness. And this means that what you are most conscious of is what you live by. And it is on this basis that it is this basis that forms what he refers to as the law of building. So if you want to backwardly integrate it simply means that the law of the Odin states that that which you are most conscious of becomes the fundamental fabric of your life so in other words if you are so conscious of flesh the tenets of your life will tend towards death but if you are so conscious of spirit eternal life will be the resultant effect of your dispositions and that's what he taught us from romans chapter 8 from verse 5 to 8 and before that, pastor has taken us from Romans chapter 7 to Romans chapter 8, verse 1 to 4, on what pastor titled pneumatology. That's the study of the spirit, where pastor begins to explain to us that man is a tripartite being. All right? It simply means that man is flesh, man is soul, and man is spirit. That when you take any of this dimension away from man, man ceases to be man. And it was there that pastor begins to establish to us that the flesh cannot be converted, neither can it be renewed. He said the flesh can only be enthroned or enslaved. I take that again. The flesh cannot be converted or renewed. That the only thing that the flesh can do is that the flesh can only be enthroned, all right, or the flesh can be enslaved. And you now begin to realize that from these teachings, that's both the pneumatology teachings and the journey minister Juwan took us on last week, you begin to discover that that which sponsors the manifestation of flesh is sin. So you see, that which sponsors the manifestations of flesh is sin. All right? And the author of sin 
is the devil. All right? And you see this devil, by the time you now begin to backtrack to Genesis, you now begin to discover that this devil is the enemy of God from the beginning. And one thing you begin to realize is that everything the devil is doing eh, is to, ah, I'm looking for a better word, is directly opposite to what God wants. Because from the very beginning, the devil is enemy with God. All right? And what the devil begins to utter by that enmity he has for God is that the devil begins to utter sin. You see, sin begins to sponsor flesh because every time flesh begins to manifest itself, every time flesh begins to manifest flesh, all it produces is sin. All right. And that sin is uttered by the devil. You see, and that's why you now begin to see that it is impossible for a man to live in flesh because all the manifestations of flesh is sin and sin is uttered by the devil and the devil is the enemy of God. So therefore, by the time you now begin to marry all this logic together, you now begin to see why it is impossible for one to live in on fleshy terms and still please God. So in other words, it's almost like saying, I will live on the devil's terms, but my life will be appealing to God. It's an anathema. It is a It is impossible for us, it is impossible for us to live on the devil's terms and expect a life that is appealing to God. It's a practical impossibility. And this is one thing that has been established in the teaching on pneumatology and in the teaching last week. And, and that's why Minister Juan encouraged us to be conscious of the spirit. Praise God. And as is our custom here, I like us to read. I like us to read the book of Romans. And I'll be reading from Romans chapter 8. But this time around, we'll be reading from verse 9 to 15. We'll just read it one long read, then uh, we'll now begin to delve into the meat of what God will have us discuss tonight. Praise God forevermore. Hallelujah. So Romans, I'm reading from the um, NKJV Bible. Romans chapter 8 from verse 9. The Bible says, but you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he is not his. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin. But the spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Now, verse 12. Verse 12 says, Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many as led, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you do not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you receive the spirit of adoption by which we cry, Abba, Father. Praise God. See, that portion of scripture begins to open in verse 9. That, And this is what verse 9 says. It says, but you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. It says, you, you, you are not in the flesh but in the spirit. So one of the things we begin to see is that verse 9 begins to establish our habitat now. Verse 9 begins to tell us that, see, brother, you, you are not in the flesh. You are in the spirit. The way the NLT Bible puts it is that, the NLT Bible says, but you are not controlled by your sinful nature. It says you are controlled by the spirit. So what this simply tells us is that, 
you begin to notice that the Bible did not say that we do not have flesh. Mm -mm. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that flesh is no longer our habitation. Yes, there was a season when flesh was our habitation, but flesh is no longer our habitation. Now, our habitation is the spirit. And I would just like to remind us of something Pastor said in Pneumatology Part 1. And Pastor began to explain that, you see, uh, Pastor drew a concentric circle like that Olympics ring, whereby one of the circle is flesh. The other extreme of the circle is spirit. And there's a circle that looks like a Venn diagram in between, which is the soul. You see, and at every time, because in, in a confluence of three, two forms a majority. And those two that form a majority can actually superimpose their will upon the third leg. I take that again. In a tripod, two forms the majority. And those two can always superimpose their will upon the third, such that the third do not have any option but to do their bidding. You see, to digress a bit, this is why the Bible says man and one wife. You understand? Because the minute where it becomes more than one, a, a system of democracy is already instituted. And every time there's a system of democracy, one party will be disenfranchised by default because there will always be majority and there will always be minority. And that's what gives birth to this quote that the majority will have their way and the minorities will have their say. This is just to digress a bit. And now back to what we are saying. Now, the Bible is now telling us that, and Pastor established rather in pneumatology that the soul always partner with one of them because the soul do not have a will of himself. What it does is that he leans towards the one that has the predominant desire or the predominant strength in that being called man. So in other words, if your spirit has gained ascendancy, your soul partners with your spirit and therefore enslaves the flesh. But if the flesh has gained an ascendancy, what then happens is that the soul partners with the flesh, which has now been enthroned, and they enslave the spirit. So which simply means that by default in a man, something must be enslaved and something must be enthroned. But the decision of what must be enslaved and enthroned now lies with you. Is it that because every time you enthrone the spirit, it simply means the flesh is enslaved. And every time you enthrone the flesh, it simply means the spirit is enslaved. That is the partnership that can happen. There is no in-between. It's either you are a carnal man or you are a spiritual man. But look at what the Bible says in Romans. Look at what the Bible says in Romans chapter 8 from verse 9. Paul now begins to establish here to the church in Rome that you, referring to you, and you can tag your neighbor and say, you, you are no longer in the flesh. You are in the spirit. And look at what it begins to say. He now says, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you, he said you are in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. Now, he now begins to tell us that, now, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ is not his. This means that what makes you realize that you are in the spirit is when you now have the person of the Holy Spirit dwelling in your spirit. And this is what you received when you gave your life to Christ. You now begin to receive that measure of Christ's spirit in you. This is what you received when you were baptized with the Holy Ghost. So you see, when you have entered into that place where you have seeded your life unto Christ, where you have made that confession, the Bible says, 
with the heart one believes and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. See, immediately you do that, you receive a measure of Christ's spirit. And once you receive a measure of Christ's spirit, it simply means you now have the infrastructure that will help you to enshrine the spirit to the detriment of the flesh. So anything that is telling you otherwise is lying and is your enemy. Because the simple truth is a lot of believers have the Holy Spirit, but they don't think or they don't believe that they are now they can now source their life from there. Some people are still second guessing the spirit of God that they receive. But this is what the Bible is saying. The Bible is reassuring you that so long you have the Holy Ghost, so long you have received Christ, you, 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 you are now living in the spirit. So it simply means that your life, you should live a life that is consistent with that new reality. Don't let any carnality or any, any devil bamboozle you to think that you are not in the spirit. This is what Minister John was alighting last week. That you are now in the spirit. You are now in the spirit. If you have received, if at any time in your life, you have actually believed in your heart and you have confessed God, you have confessed Jesus Christ as Lord with your mouth, you are in the spirit. You don't need to buy any candles. You don't need to break any coconut. You don't need to wash your head anywhere. You are in the spirit. Which simply means that what you begin to do from that moment henceforth is you begin to fashion your life in a manner that is consistent with that truth. Don't let anybody deceive you. Don't let anybody deceive you. The devil is a master of deception. Look at what he said to Eve in the beginning. He said, as God indeed told you not to eat of this fruit. So what the devil tries to do is that the devil tries to make you second guess your reality in Christ. Because he knows that once he gets you into that place where you are not sure, he cannot begin to leverage on your ignorance and begin to sponsor the realities of flesh in your life. Don't fall into that deception. Brother, you are in the spirit. You have God resident on your inside. So every time the dictate of flesh shows a challenge at you, your response is, I am a man of the spirit. Hence, I do not source my life from outside. I source my life from the inside. See, because the, the truth is, situations and circumstances will always pose that question at you. Life will always pose that question. See, life will always poke you and ask you, where do you reside? See, and you see, for this spiritual truth, there's also a physical parallel. Have you, not, have you not noticed that every time people want to know you, one of the fundamental questions they ask is, where are you from? Because if we can know your origin, to a very large extent, we cannot begin to deduce what manner of man you are. See, and the truth is, life will begin to pose a question as to your origin. Remember the Bible says, you are a new creature. All things are passed away. Forget your formal estate. Forget the fact that, yes, once upon a time in my life, I acknowledge that fact that I was once in the world. But now that you have received Christ, you are in the spirit. So when somebody begins to ask you of your origin, you have no past. Your past now is that day when God came into you. It simply means that you know no man again after the flesh. You have not sinned. That's what Paul was saying when he was saying, I have wronged no man. Because Paul was not sourcing his history from the soul of Damascus days or the soul of Tarsus days, rather. He was sourcing his history from that point 
on the road to Damascus where he encountered the Christ. And from that point onward, he had wronged no man and is correct. Why? Because he is in the spirit. And you are not lying. Every time you begin to make this declaration, you are not lying. You see, one thing you begin to realize is that when you begin to fashion your life after this truth that you are in the spirit, that is the first foray eh, into enslaving the flesh. Because when you begin to bring to your consciousness that fact that I am a man of the spirit, you now begin to understand that if indeed I am a man of the spirit and indeed the spirit of the living God dwells in me, it simply means that the attribute of my life is supposed to lend credence to this, my declaration. So it now begins to bring in you, it now begins to evoke in you a super consciousness of the realities of the spirit. You see, when your soul is now looking for uh, materials to process, that will now form the framework of your life. Because you have educated it and told him that, see, I am not a man of the flesh. The soul do not even make an attempt of looking outward in order to begin to form the fundamental fabrics that will make up your life. The soul now knows that if indeed this guy is a man of the spirit, it simply means that the fundamental fabrics that I will use to begin to weave this guy's new existence must be sourced from the spirit. You now begin to see a desire springing up on your inside for God's word. You now begin to see a desire springing up from your inside for prayer. You now begin to see a desire springing up from your, from your inside for doing, to do things that are consistent with what is start the fruit of the spirit as enshrined in Galatians chapter 5. You now begin to see that because now you are aware that you are a man of the spirit, love will now begin to come natural to you. Kindness, peace, gentleness. So, yes, in your formal estate, you were that guy that for every bus, there's an equal and opposite boss. But you now begin to discover that now that I am a man of the spirit, I no longer live after this fashion. Instead, I begin to embrace the tenets of gentleness because this is a characteristic tendency that is consistent with the reality of the spirit. So all the attributes of your life will now be sourced from the inside. Praise God. Praise God. Are we still here? So, when you now read from verse 10, the Bible says, and if Christ is in you, listen to this. The Bible says, the body is dead because of sin. He said, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. He said, now, this thing that Paul said in verse 10 is very significant. Recall how, how for every leaning, either you lean towards the flesh or the spirit, the place of your predominant leaning is always enthroned, and the other place is enslaved. So the Bible now says, if Christ is in you, that means I'm not paraphrasing, and you are not sourcing your life from the spirit, what automatically happens is what Minister John told us about last week. He says, your flesh automatically dies. This simply means your flesh lacks the ability to be conscious of anything that is fleshy. Why? Because the fundamental source of your life is now the spirit. Look at what the Bible says. The Bible says, but if the, I say your spirit, so when your flesh is dying, what is happening is that your spirit is living. It says, and if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin. That's flesh. It says, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. 
All right? Okay? So now, look at what the Bible now says in verse 11. It says, but if the spirit of him, that's referring to Jesus, uh, referring to God or Jesus, the same thing, who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, right? He's speaking of resurrected, the resurrected life. The Bible says, you who raised Christ from the dead, we also give life to your mortal bodies through the spirit who dwells in you. Now, let me explain this, this construct beautifully. The Bible says, now, you remember that your flesh, now, your flesh now lacks the consciousness of carnality. Why? Because you are now sourcing your vitality from the spirit. The Bible now says, once Christ begins to dwell in you, right? The spirit, in, the soul in collaboration with the spirit, sourcing virtue from God, we now begin to superimpose their realities upon the flesh, such that the flesh will no longer have any option, but begin to but to begin to replicate that which is being enforced on. So you now see the same body that was that 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 found smoking, that found humanizing, that found drinking, that found depotry appealing. That same body will no longer like drinking. We no longer like smoking. Why? Because now the spirit. The soul, in collaboration with the spirit, sourcing virtue from God, that's the person of the Holy Spirit, they are now superimposing their reality upon the flesh, such that that 16, those 16 protocols of sin that pastor begin to explain in pneumatology no longer have any bearing on you. You will no longer be given to witchcraft. You no longer be given to murder. You no longer be given to revelings. You no longer be given to gossip. You no longer be given to all those virtues. Instead, you will now begin to embody because these realities will be seen in your body, all right? These realities of the spirit, they will not be seen in your spirit because no one can see your spirit. They will not be seen in your soul, per se, because no one can see your soul. But they will be felt and seen in your body. But it is not the intention of the body. For because the body has been enslaved, he has no choice but to do the bidding of the soul who is sourcing virtue from the spirit of God in partnership with your spirit. So you will now see that lady that was given over to lasciviousness, that lady is now upright. That lady is now exemplifying the virtues of godliness. And somebody is looking at her and saying, uh-uh, have you changed? She has not changed per se. It's just that she's now sourcing her life from a different place. And the place where she's sourcing her life is in her spirit, which is in collaboration with the spirit of God. Because every time something is a slave, a slave no longer has a choice but to do the bidding of the master. So it simply means every time the flesh is subdued, every time the flesh is enslaved, it no longer has a choice but to do the bidding of the spirit. Every time the flesh is enslaved, it no longer has a choice but to do the bidding of the spirit. And somebody is asking, why don't you come to that party anymore? And your body can, because he is now weak. He no longer has a will. He no longer has that power that can help him dominate the soul and enslave the spirit. Why? Because now you are now living in your true state, which is a partnership with your creator God. And you are now sourcing your life from that place. And every attribute that the flesh now begins to manifest are just the attributes of the spirit. And that's what the Bible is saying here when he says what Jesus begins to do when he comes into that life, who is now sourcing his essence from the spirit is that Jesus Christ begins to furnish him with power and life to dominate his mortal bodies. Why? Because that mortal body is no longer sourcing life from the outside. It's now living from the inside because it has been enslaved. So you see, you have to come to that point in your life where you no longer give your flesh a choice at carnality. Such that when you wake up in the morning, because you are living from the spirit, the flesh do not have any option but to pray and study God's word. 
you have to get yourself to that place where you begin to source your life from the spirit to the end that your flesh no longer has any choice but to do the bidding of the spirit. It is when we see that man, we now begin to say that man is a spiritual man. How do we know he's a spiritual man when we cannot see his spirit? We begin to know he's a spiritual man because his life is in his flesh. We begin to see the tenets of the spirit. Then we now begin to know this is a man who has reigned in his flesh, who has enslaved his flesh, such that the flesh no longer has a choice but to do the bidding of the spirit. Hallelujah. Are we still here? And that's why when you wake up on Sunday morning, you don't need to be persuaded. The flesh just knows that, oh boy, I need to wake up by four. I need to take my bath. I need to get to church early because that is where I'm sourcing my life from, from the spirit. And somebody else cannot understand. You see, you just, you just carry church for your head. Assistant pastor, and they are giving you all kinds of names of mockery, but they were expecting you to be ashamed. The flesh cannot be ashamed. <laughs> because Every capacity of shame died. Let's put separate from your body and talk to that guy. You say, I don't have a sin this man. And that's why many a times you find it in, in fact, you find it short of words to begin to explain spiritual construct to carnal men. Because no matter how much you talk, they will not understand. But when they get into the lane of the spirit, when God has shown his kindness to them and they have repented, automatically they just begin to understand all the construct of the spirit. So you see, and somebody is looking at you, ah, everybody is going through a tough time, a tough season, and when everybody was busy singing the songs of lamentations, you just enter into one place and you are going sali kabanam for shatilia kaparatos yete pango lefia so shata. And somebody say, what are you saying? See, cannot make cannot understand this thing because you already know. <laughs> and guess what? When you are doing all those things, when you are praying in the spirit, what is moving is your mouth, right? Which is flesh, which people can interact with. But what you are doing is that your soul, in collaboration with your spirit have sourced a certain level of virtue, leveraging on the spirit of God, which is resident in you, and they have superimposed that will upon the body, that the body just knows that every time I'm faced with this kind of circumstances from the outside, the truth is I have to bring the reality of the inside and begin to establish it upon the situation of the outside to the end that I cannot begin to superimpose the reality of the inside upon outside, so that outside will not begin to mirror that which is inside. Are we still here? Praise God. Let's move on. So, verse 10 and 11 begins to show us the protocols that lead to the manifestation of the enslaved flesh. So, when you read verse 10 to 11, what you begin to see there is the protocols that lead to the manifestation of the enslaved flesh. And the first one is that the body has lost the consciousness of sin. And because the body has lost the consciousness of sin, the, so the loss of the body or the loss of the flesh is the gain of the spirit. <laughs> All right? You know, the body loses the consciousness of sin. The spirit gains the consciousness of righteousness. Right? And the soul, which has now been severed from the leanings of the flesh, becomes fused to the spirit. And two of them begin to interpret only the realities of the spirit by leveraging on the virtues they source from God. And at this junction, I'd just like to... Um, the topic for tonight's teaching is... A lesson on path and glory. Path is spelled P-A-T-H-S. A lesson on path and glory. A lesson on path and glory. Because one of the paths we begin to see is that 
every time one begins to live his life from the spirit leveraging on the knowledge that god's spirit now dwells in them one of the first things you see is that the body loses the consciousness of sin and every time the body loses the consciousness of sin the spirit gains the consciousness of righteousness so it's almost like a balance sheet if there is a profit on the right hand side that means there's loss you get now profit and loss this thing if there's gain here so uh, sorry it's not profit and loss if there's if there's debit here it simply means there's credit there if there's credit there it simply means there's debit here fundamental basic business studies right i i should be right if i'm not pastor inka will help us praise god so the body loses consciousness of sin the spirit gains consciousness of righteousness now the gain of the spirit now means if the body loses consciousness of sin, because what was interpreting the consciousness of sin that the body has, loosed, has lost now is the soul. So every time the body loses the consciousness of sin, it simply means that the ability for it to superimpose its will over the soul is broken. So every time the body loses consciousness of sin, right, that power it has to reign in the soul to its side is broken. And because now the path that is gaining, because the soul is always moving towards the path that has gained. So the path that is gaining is now the spirit. The spirit has now gained consciousness of righteousness. By default, the soul is now in partnership with the spirit, which simply means that the soul begins to interpret only the gains of the spirit, which is being sourced from the Holy Spirit. And those two now begin to superimpose their will upon the flesh. And the flesh no longer has any choice because now that it has lost the consciousness of sin, it's now a slave to do the bidding of the spirit. Praise God. Praise God. So, now let's move on to verse 12. Let's move on to verse 12. Verse 12 now says, Therefore, brethren, right? It says, We are debtors. Not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. But if you live according to the flesh, you will die. For if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. See, verse 12 to 13 now begins to remind us of the fact, and I like us to listen to this carefully. Verse 12 to 13 now begins to remind us of the fact that we are still free moral agents. Right? We are still free moral agents. And locked up within us there's still the possibility of going over to the flesh lane eh? and that's why we are debtors because you now begin to ask where does this concept of debtors now come in because paul is saying something very beautiful all of a sudden baba just begin to call us debtors what the bible is telling us in verse 12 to 13 is that see despite the fact that we are now living in the spirit eh? that flesh that has lost consciousness eh? still has he has a bit of life if we now begin to flip the switch. All right? He still has a bit of life if we now begin to flip the switch. Why? Because we are still free molar agents. Just by the fact that we now source our life from the spirit, leveraging on the spirit of God, God will not strong us. So where is the whole concept of death now? Because the concept of death is now that if we live our life in the spirit, one of the realities that God will not begin to punish us with is that we will not begin to understand the severity of the price Christ paid. And because of that price that Christ paid to secure our freedom from the flesh, we will be 
eternally in debt to him. And because we are children of gratitude, we will understand that this price was a steep price. And hence, we must always choose that side of the spirit. It's not as if we are trying to repay Christ. We are not trying to repay him. But it is the way of showing our gratitude for the deep sacrifice he has paid to us is by consistently living our life from that place. So to just give a faint illustration is that if somebody goes like your parents, for example, while we were going to school, a lot of our parents made deep sacrifice for us to go to school. So the way we could repay them, then, right now I know we can do more. The way we could repay them then is not by saving money or going to school to go and work and gathering money and give them back. No, the way we could repay them is by making sure that we spend every time that is afforded to us in that school judiciously to the point that we come out in flying colors because we know that our flying colors will be a way, a show of gratitude for the depth of sacrifice they paid on our behalf. So in other words, putting that illustration side by side with what the Bible is saying here in Romans chapter 12 to 13 is that the way we show gratitude to Jesus Christ for the depth of his sacrifice to us is that we begin to consistently maintain a life of the spirit. That's what Paul is saying here. Because the truth is, by the time we begin to forget that sacrifice that was paid in order to purchase a life of the spirit for us, see, when we forget that sacrifice, we'll begin to now treat the life of the spirit as a common thing. And before long, we will just flip to the other side. Because one of the things you realize here is that in the, in the field of the enthronement of flesh and spirit, there is no middle ground. Even Jesus Christ said it in his teaching on Christ and Mammon in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. No one can serve two masters. So in other words, either the spirit is master and the flesh is slave, or the flesh is master and the spirit is slave. All right? And because we understand the, 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 the death or the, or the sacrifice that got us that life of the spirit, we are forever in death to Christ. And the way by which we are not repaying the debt, the way we can show gratitude for that sacrifice is by consistently maintaining the life of the Spirit. Praise God forevermore. Wow. Time flies. Amen. So, let's go. Now, the Bible now says in verse 14, for as many, okay, let me read 13 again. It says, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. We, we already know this. The wages of sin is death, and all that flesh produces is sin. So in other words, the end goal of flesh is death, right? But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. He has stated this in the preceding verses, that if we begin to source our life from the Spirit, what will begin to happen is that we have righteousness, right? And that righteousness is lack. Praise God. The Bible now begins to say, for as many, verse 14, for as many, that are led by the Spirit of God. He says, these, these ones are the sons of God. So in other words, what verifies your status as a son of God is the degree of leadership of his Spirit over you. So in other words, you being the son of God is not a verbal statement to be declared, right? 
the testament of your sonship is to is how much of the leadership of the holy spirit we can see in your life and this is evidenced by the amount of virtues your enslaved flesh now begins to display i take that again how we know that you are a son of god is by the overriding leadership of the holy spirit in your life that is evident by the amount of spirit inspired method of living that is being displayed by your flesh so it is not just enough for you to say i am a son of god if i begin to chronicle the attribute of your life do i begin to see pointers to the leadership of the holy spirit ask your neighbor if i chronicle the dictates and attributes of your life does it point to the leadership of the holy spirit or to the leadership of something else amen so it's just like when we're in secondary school you cannot say that you attended my secondary school you are not wearing our uniform you don't sit in our classes you don't know the name of our principal your your results doesn't carry our school logo letterhead so what then is the proof that you attend the school? Amen. So the only proof is that the only proof that you are the son of God is how much of the leadership of the Holy Spirit is being seen in you, evidenced by the manifestation of your enslaved flesh. Do you tell lies? Do you do things that are consistent with the fruits of carnality? As explained in the 16 attributes in the mythology, one, two, three. Or do we look at your life and now begin to see the manifestations of the realities of the fruit of the spirit as explained in Galatians chapter 5? Praise God. That is the food for thought. Now, the Bible now tells us that when we live a fly, when we live a life rather, that is consistently sourced from the spirit. It's a testament to our sonship. Remember what the Bible says in John chapter 4, verse 24. Let's go there. John chapter 4, verse 24. As I begin to tie this up. Mm. Thank you, Jesus. The Bible now says in John chapter 4, verse 24. It says, For God is a spirit, and those who must worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Right, and remember, worship in this context, you can begin to define worship in this context in this context after the order of Romans chapter 12, verse 1. If you read it from the NIV, it says, I beseech you, brethren, by the message of the Lord, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. You see, presenting your bodies a living sacrifice is a protocol of body enslavement or flesh enslavement. You know what happened to sacrifice, sacrifice are killed. And what did the Bible say in Romans chapter 12, verse 1? We'll still learn it in front. It says that what you do to your body is that you present it which simply means that the body or the flesh undergoes a consistent circle of slaying of killing of sacrificing and the bible says when you do this the bible says i beseech you by the by the message of the lord that you present the body a living sacrifice holy and acceptable unto god because every time you sacrifice your body what you are simply doing is you are enthroning your spirit and that act of enthroning your spirit over the body to the detriment of the body is considered holy and pleasing to God. And the Bible says this is what is called reasonable worship. 
Remember, the Bible says God is a spirit, John chapter 4, verse 24. And those that must worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. And one of the ways by which you demonstrate your worship for God is that you consistently slay your body. You consistently kill the flesh. You consistently enthrone the spirit to the detriment of the flesh. When you keep enthroning the spirit to the detriment of the flesh, God considers that sacrifice holy and acceptable because he knows that every time the body is slain, the only attributes that life, that man begins to reflect, the only attributes that man begins to exemplify is the attributes of the spirit. And every time you begin to exemplify the attributes of the spirit, your life is pleasing to God. Every time you begin to exemplify the attributes of the spirit, your life is pleasing to God. Like Minister Joel rightly said last week, you cannot be spirit conscious and not please God. It's a practical impossibility. It's a practical impossibility to source your life from the spirit, evidenced by your alliance, alliance with the spirit of God and your life will not be pleasing to God. Just the same way it is impossible for you to live in the flesh and please God. It is impossible for you to live in the spirit and not please God. Praise the Lord. The Bible now, as I begin to wrap, wrap all of this, the Bible now begins to say in verse 16, uh, so verse 15 rather say, the spirit you receive is not the spirit of bondage against it here. It says, but we receive the spirit of adoption by whom we cry, Abba, Father. And I wrote here, the life of bondage, eh? the life of bondage stems, the life of bondage bears fear. Because one of the things you begin to realize is that every time a man lives in the flesh, is fundamentally afraid. And somebody is asking me, what is the man in flesh afraid of? See, the man in flesh is afraid because he has no assurance for tomorrow. Yes. The man in flesh is afraid because he has no assurance for tomorrow. And that's why every time those men engage in sin, everything sin does is for immediate gratification. All the pointers of sin, all the pointers of flesh is for now, now, now. Let us eat today. Let us dine today. Let us drown our soul today. Because every time a man is living in the flesh, he's afraid because he doesn't know, the flesh doesn't give you an assurance of year after. And because the Bible tells us that the spirit in man is like a candle, searching his inward words. The spirit is always trying to let you understand that there is still a tomorrow that you that that we call you to pay an account for every day you spent in debauchery. And the only way by which the flesh knows how to drown out that voice so that it doesn't give in to the leaning of the spirit is by continuing to descend into more and more debauchery and looking for so many people that we endorse his debauchery. But the more the endorsement grows, the more empty it feels, the more that fear is nudging at the heart. And I therefore declare that everyone that is living in sin is afraid. But because they want to drown out that voice that is always telling them that you'll be accountable for their life. And that's why they keep seeking outward validation. But no matter the amount of outward validation they seek, they can never get satisfaction. And instead, they keep descending into different and varying levels of debauchery. Because they know deep down, they know deep down that, oh boy, we are in bondage. That is the bondage flesh gives. Flesh is not assured of tomorrow. That's why every of the leanings of flesh is to be spent now. 
That's why there's no satisfaction anywhere. And they keep repeating this circle. This is called the cycle of bondage. And the Bible says that, the Bible is saying, Paul was writing to the people, to the church in Rome here, that the spirit you receive is not the spirit of bondage again to fear. Yes, there was a season in your life where you were in the bondage of carnality because you do not know and you kept descending to levels of debauchery. He said, well, that season is over because verse 9 told us now you are in the spirit. And the Bible is saying, the assurance that the spirit of God gives to you is that it gives you that assurance that you have not been adopted into the number one family in the universe. And that is the family of God. And you now have the exclusive reserve to cry out to God and call him father. And he did not just use the word father. He used the word Abba, which is a word of endearment. You now call that you cannot call God my daddy because God is now daddy in you. There's no other assurance that is greater than the assurance that you know that God is now your parent. No other assurance in the universe can be greater than that assurance that God is now my daddy. No other assurance is bigger than that assurance. But you see, every time a man spends in bondage, he lacks that assurance. He's always afraid because he cannot call God his daddy. He sees God as the judge that is going to pass a verdict upon his soul. And that the only way he knows how to silence that fear is by descending into varying degrees of debauchery. But God is saying, the spirit with which you were called into sonship is not the spirit that sponsors bondage and fear. He said, it's the spirit that reassures you that you have not been adopted. And that adoption can now make you be bold to call God your daddy. You see, I will not have understood this deeply. Until I became a dad myself. And you see, every time, like this morning, Zikam did it again. Uh, so this morning, I just prepared for work. And Zikam woke up. I was in the sitting room. And he woke up. His mom told me that he was just looking around the room. He was just looking around. He was looking for his daddy. Then, she, immediately she told me that, ah, Zikam is looking for you. And I just stepped into the room. From the bed, he just jumped up. He was crawling. And he just ran into my hand. And I carried him. I played with him a little before I went to work. And now, as I was studying for this thing, you see, that is how you and I behave to God. That every time the world throws all his fiery darts to us, we just begin to turn our head around. The minute we see our daddy from the world, we just run to him. There's this reassurance that he will not allow our feet to stumble. Instead, he will grab us with his hands and it will carry us off, and it will reassure us of the adoption. It will reassure us of his presence, and we know that at that moment, everything is sorted. Why? Because we have received the spirit of adoption, wherein we can now call God our daddy. Those in the flesh do not have this kind of relationship with God. So why would you settle for that which is inferior, when that which is superior is calling out to you? And it is in that place of God's daddyship over you, that you begin to enter into glory. So you see, the path of the Spirit eventually leads you into glory. And that's why today's teaching is a lesson of path and glory. And I trust that as we continue to meditate in this truth, God will begin to increase your knowledge of his glory and begin to launch you into deeper dimension of his grace. In Jesus' mighty name we are prayed. Amen. Thank you for having me. God bless you. Wow! What 
a word. For more messages, connect with our tribesmen across all social media platforms at Parpoint Tribe.